Thank you, Lord, that uh, you are the sovereign God. We get frustrated, we get upset, we get concerned, we get anxious. We are grateful that, uh, that you are absolutely steady, that you are not only steady, but you're in control. You have a plan, and your plan is being worked. Nothing will frustrate your plan, nothing will stop your plan, not the uh, well-organized attempts to take away freedoms, not the uh, diabolical plans to use judicial power in a way that uh, is contrary to the law of this land. It's amazing that some of the biggest lawbreakers are in the courts. Just astonishing. This is not the first time that's ever happened in history. And, and Lord, in the midst of that, you are our rock and you are our firm foundation. We thank you that your truth prevails. We thank you that your truth sets us free. We thank you that uh, this nation was built the early years, the foundational principles, those, those laws had to come from somewhere. They just didn't pop out of thin air. They certainly don't come from Islam. They certainly don't come from the East. They don't come from Buddhism or Confucianism. They come from the Word of God, which you handed to Moses on Sinai, and he brought it down. So we are grateful, Lord, that we have uh, had a history not a perfect history, but a history that has been built, our laws have been built on your truth. And there is a great war raging, and it does concern us, and it concerns us not only for ourselves, but it concerns us for our children, for our grandkids, the kind of nation they will live in. So we pray, Lord, that you will work. You have your people, you have your ways, you have your methods, they're not often our ways. But nevertheless, you are in charge. We would simply ask, Lord, that uh, your favor would be upon this nation and that you would be merciful and that you would hear the prayers of the righteous. You would hear the prayers of the remnant. Sometimes, Lord, we, we just get almost despondent at what we see and the foolishness and the nonsense and the godlessness. There are reprobates on every hand. But you have your men placed right where you want them. You've called us all to be salt. You've called us all to be light. You've assigned us each to our post. And we have a responsibility to be light where we are. It may not be a big platform. It may not be a famous platform. But it is an important platform. Schaefer used to say, there are no little people and there are no little places. So Lord, we, uh, we show up tonight. And we salute you, and we are here again to be reminded of our orders, which simply is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. We do not always do that the way that we would like to do it. Things we know we should do, we don't do. We can identify with what Paul said there in Romans 7. But we thank you for grace, and we thank you for mercy, and we thank you that you're at work not only in the world and not only in this nation, but you're at work in our lives. You're doing something. You're up to something. Clue us in. 
tonight. Remind us of what you're doing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 2? We are continuing the study that we did in the fall on um, the crushing and construction of a man. And in the fall, we looked at that subject through the life of uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in 2 Corinthians. And now we're in Exodus because we're, we're looking at the same process and the same procedure through the lens of the life of another man, and that's Moses. Uh, Moses has uh, quite a story. And as we mentioned last week, uh, Moses lived to be 120 years old, and you could take his story and you could take his biography and you could put it on three DVDs and they would break up into three sections of 40 years each. The, the section that we saw last week, the first 40 years of his life, we, we saw the, the sovereign beginnings of his life that when his people are in slavery in Egypt, and when they are proliferating greatly and beginning to outnumber the Egyptians, that it got to be such a crisis that Pharaoh said, uh, if, if a baby boy is born um, to any of Israel, he is, he is to be killed. But the Hebrew midwives would not do that, and God honored them. And it was during that time, quite frankly, a pretty poor time to have a little baby boy that Moses was born. And his parents hit him for a while, and then they fashioned a little wicker basket, uh, probably with some tar and pitch to waterproof it, and they put him down on the banks of the Nile. Next thing you know, Pharaoh's daughter, just by chance, happens to come by and sees him there, and uh, winds up adopting him. His uh, mother raises him in Pharaoh's household. She is his nurse, and uh, he has the best of everything, best education, he is a military hero, we know from what uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, told us. Uh, Moses was a competent and capable and gifted leader who had the best of everything. If anyone was prepared to be a leader, it was, it was Moses. The first 40 years of his life, he lives in splendor, he lives in grandeur. Uh, he, he is at the top of the heap. Uh, life could not be going any better for him. That's the first 40 years of his life. What would it take uh, to make you happy? What, what, what would it take for, for you to enjoy life? A lot of times uh, we, we get this picture in our, our minds of how it is that we would like life to look. We would like, uh, we, we would, uh, like to be successful in our work, very successful. We would like to do well financially. We would like to do real well financially. We would like to meet all of our financial goals. We would like to have more than enough uh, in reserve, just in case an emergency came along. It isn't interesting when an emergency comes along, it kind of ticks you off because you didn't want to touch that money, even though it was set aside for an emergency. We, we like to store it, and we don't like to use it. 
And, and, and then we like to go on and even put more away than that. And uh, the, quite frankly, the goal that we'd all like to have is to be financially independent. And uh, then there's our, our families and our marriages. We would like to just, gosh, have a great marriage. Have, have everything just really going well on that front. You know? You're on AM, she's on AM. If you're on FM, she's on FM. Sometimes, though, what happens is you're on AM and she's on FM. And that's what we want to avoid. But we know what we'd like our marriages to look like, and we know how we'd like for her to agree with us. Because then she'd be in alignment with truth. <laughs> and it would be a benefit to her life. We know how we would like our marriages to go, and we know how we'd like things to go with our kids, and... Uh, we would like them all to do well and to kind of follow the plan that we kind of laid out, even though we're not going to really give it to them in detail, but we'd like to see them go a certain way and make certain decisions and not disappoint us. And uh, Wouldn't that be great if it worked out? On all those fronts, on all those fronts, simultaneously, if it was all working the way that we would like for it to work, you know, then health. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's doing great. Everybody is, uh, is pain-free. Everybody is even stress-free. Wouldn't that be great? Well, don't hold your breath. Um, heaven is coming. This isn't it. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations. We must enter the kingdom of God. Not some, not a few. Through many tribulations. Uh, that is the normal Christian life. Uh, I, I think a case could be made that the first 40 years of Moses' life were uh, uh, exceptional uh, in the success that he enjoyed the first 40 years. Uh, pretty much, pretty much, uh, whatever he put his hand to worked. Uh, he he was he was living the good life. Uh, sometimes there are reversals, and sometimes things don't go the way that we would like them to go. I think most of us as men we set goals. Uh, we we have short-term goals. We have long-term goals. And sometimes as men, we get depressed. And one of the reasons we get depressed is that we experienced blocked goals. Not, not fulfilled goals, but blocked. And they get blocked, so you keep trying. And they get blocked again, and you keep trying. And they get blocked, and you keep trying. But after, after a while, when, when your goals are blocked on many, many fronts, um, yeah, you start dealing with depression. Uh, there are two reasons for depression. One would be a physiological reason, uh, and, and that's why some people get depressed. There are chemical imbalances and that type of thing. But the other reason we get depressed is that we experience loss. We lose something. 
something that's very, very important to us. And when, that, uh, and when you lose on several different fronts at the same time, the losses accumulate, and what happens is you get depressed. I, I don't see that Moses dealt too much with depression in the first 40 years. Uh, the second 40 years, it's pretty much all he dealt with. Um, you've heard of overnight successes? Moses was an overnight failure. That pretty much sums up the second 40 years uh, of the life of Moses. That, that's, that's very difficult for a guy to deal with. If you look at Exodus chapter 2, uh, the story is told briefly of Moses, uh, beginning with verse 1, and then you come down to verse 14, and this is a situation that, that took place where at the age of 39, and we know this, you cross-reference this with Acts 7, we know that just prior to the age of 40, uh, Moses stepped in. Uh, one of his, one of his uh, Jewish counterparts, one of his family members, a slave, was being beaten by uh, an Egyptian taskmaster. And Moses stepped in and defended him and killed the Egyptian officer. Now, Acts 7 tells us that Moses thought that the people of Egypt, the people rather of Israel, would understand. They would understand that God was going to deliver them through him. That what he came to understand is that those first 40 years of his life didn't happen by chance. God sovereignly put him in that position. He was basically Pharaoh's grandson. God put him in that lofty and strategic position so that God could use him to set all of those people free. Now, he was right about what God intended to do through him, but he was 40 years off on the timing. There was some work that had to be done in the life and the heart of Moses before he was ready to step into the role that God had for him to do. He had figured it out. He wasn't stupid. He knew that God didn't put him in there just for his own personal comfort. Uh, he was there for a reason. But he was way, way off on the time. Now, when he kills the Egyptian. You look at verse 15. You've got a huge transition. Huge. You know, life is full of transitions. Do you remember being in junior high school? Uh, I do. I remember when the kids in eighth grade were the big kids. And the junior high school I went to, or they call it middle school, I guess, somewhere. Uh, where I went to school, it was 7th uh, and 8th grade in junior high school. Man, the 8th graders, they were big, and they had it together. And then I remember becoming an 8th grader. But then there's this transition that happens when you go from 8th grade to ninth grade. Because you changed schools, you went from the junior high, you went over to the high school. And, and suddenly you weren't so big. 
uh, there are some guys walking around called seniors that have hair on their bodies. And they're big. And they look for guys like you to slap around. Uh, it's kind of a shock to go from being the big man on campus in junior high school to walking in the first day as a freshman in high school. You remember that. Kind of intimidating. See, that's what you call a transition. And uh, then you graduate from high school. And what are you going to do? Well, it's a transition. What am I going to do now? And a lot of us go on to school because, shoot, we don't want to work. <laughs> you know, so you, you, you go sign up for some classes. And uh, maybe you go on and you figure out something. And you get out of, you graduate from college. And then what are you going to do? Well, you're facing another transition. Uh, uh, life is full of, of transitions. You get married, it's a big transition. Notice a lot of guys today aren't getting married. Young guys. They don't want to commit. Doing this little book, you know, uh, I'm working on with Josh, How to Ruin Your Life by 40. We got a chapter on ground rules for marriage. Say the two big issues of the 20s are, what are you going to do? You know, and who are you going to marry? That's how we start off the book. And then at the end of the book, we this little chapter, uh, Ground Rules for, for Marriage, Ground Rules for Finding a Mate. And we start off by basically saying the most important decision you'll ever make is what you will do with the claims of Christ on your life. That's the most important decision. The second most important decision you'll ever make is who you're going to divorce. Not who you're going to marry, who you're going to divorce. Because, see, now we live in a divorce culture. It used to be you'd decide who you were going to marry, period. But see, now, before you, you got to figure out, who am I going to marry and divorce? Because divorce is so, is, is so uh, dominant in our culture. We've become, a, we've become a culture of divorce. Forty years ago, we were a culture of marriage. In a generation, we're now a culture of divorce. Uh, it's amazing how things change. Uh, life is full of transitions. When you get married, it is, uh, it's a transition. And some of you in here have been through the heartbreak of a divorce. That's a huge transition. Maybe you didn't want the divorce. Well, this day and age, you don't have anything to say about it. If your partner wants a divorce because we weakened laws, uh, you, there's not a thing you can do about it. So if you're divorced, you've gone through another transition. Life is full of transitions. There is a huge transition in Exodus 2.15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. When he heard of what matter? That Moses had stepped in and tried to defend a Jewish slave and wound up killing the Egyptian officer. When Pharaoh heard about the matter, he then tried to kill Moses. In other words, uh, Moses' popularity dropped immediately. Politics is a tough game. Uh, so often in our younger years, popularity is very, very important to us. Uh, have you noticed how fleeting popularity is? How quickly it can leave you? I had a friend who, raising his daughters, he, he said, I, I, I always say to them, uh, I don't really care if you're popular, but I care very much that you're respected. That's really what we want, isn't it? 
So now, all of a sudden, Moses, this guy who has lived a life of favor and advantage and privilege for close to 40 years, is now suddenly a fugitive. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Um, I've had mixed feelings about teaching Moses because it wasn't too long ago that we talked about Moses, and we actually talked about this passage. Uh, the, the reason I'm going back to Moses, and, and I did have second thoughts about it, but a while back I was reading Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, he, he wrote, this is actually a book called Spiritual Depression, its causes and cure. This is based on a series of uh, sermons he gave on Sunday morning at Westminster Chapel in London back in the 60s. One morning he was, uh, Lloyd-Jones, before he went into the ministry, was a medical doctor. Uh, he was a brilliant young medical student. In fact, he was so gifted and so capable that he had been chosen uh, to be in line to be the next physician to the Queen of England. He was at the top of his game. Uh, the thing that set him apart was his ability to diagnose. That's everything if you're a doctor. Because it could be this or this or this, but he had this acute ability to, 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 to just see through things. But uh, the Lord called him to preach. And, and so he did. And uh, he went to an obscure little coal mining town in Wales, and he was there, I think, 15 years. And then was called to London to preach at Westminster Chapel. And uh, he, uh, he was there with G. Campbell Morgan for a number of years. And then when G. Campbell Morgan passed away, he followed him in that pulpit for a number of years. One morning, he was shaving, and an outline came to his mind of how it is that the enemy seeks to depress Christians and rob them of their joy. Without wiping the shaving cream off of his face, he grabbed a pad and started writing and outlined. He didn't, he didn't stop until he had outlined everything that's in this book. That's how it came to him. Um, he has a chapter called Looking at the Waves. You remember where Peter... Uh, was in the boat with the other disciples. Uh, the Lord told them to get in the boat, and Jesus went up in the mountain to pray. This is the text out of Matthew 14. And uh, the, the waves are pretty good, pretty strong, and as they're going across, um, they look over there, and Jesus is walking on the water. Remember that story? And Peter calls out to Jesus and, uh, and said, Lord, bid me to come and walk on the water with you. Come on. And Peter went out there, and Peter's walking on the water with the Lord. And then uh, something happened. Because what happened was that Peter started looking around. He got his eyes off Christ, and he started looking at what he was doing. And he kind of thought to himself, this is nuts. He started looking at the wind, he started looking at the waves. And uh, when he got his eyes off Christ, and he got his eyes on his immediate surrounding circumstances, what happened to him? He went under. 
Lloyd-Jones called, calls that weak faith. It was faith, but it was weak faith. And uh, I was reading this a while back, and he says this, uh, and, and he ties it in with spiritual depression, because so often what happens in our lives is we begin to look at our immediate circumstance. And it's not real calm, and it's not real prosperous, and things aren't going the way that we would like. It, it, it's pretty stormy, it's pretty violent, it's pretty turbulent, it's pretty threatening. And what happens is we experience loss, and we get depressed. In that context, Lloyd-Jones says this, In other words, the great antidote to spiritual depression is the knowledge of biblical doctrine, Christian doctrine. Not having feelings worked up in meetings, but knowing the principles of the faith, knowing and understanding the great doctrines. That is the biblical way. That is Christ's own way, as it is also the way of the apostles. The antidote, the antidote to depression is to have a knowledge of Him, and you get that in His Word. You must take the trouble to learn it. It is difficult work, but you have to study it and give yourself to it. The tragedy of the hour, it seems to me, is that people are far too dependent for their happiness upon meetings, different kinds of church meetings. This has been the trouble for many years in a Christian church, and that is why we are so miserable. Their knowledge of the truth is defective. That, you remember, is what our Lord said to certain people who had suddenly believed on Him. He said, and He quotes John 8, 31 here, If you continue in My word, then you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from doubts or fears, free from depression, free from things that get you down. It is the truth that frees. The truth about Him, in His person, in His work, in His offices, Christ as He is. And then in referring to Peter, now follow me here, he says this. Speaking of Peter on the waves, he says this. There was nothing new about the waves. There was no new factor when he began to sink. He was not confronted by any sort of new problem. The Lord Jesus was actually enabling him to walk on the turbulent waves. Well, why then look at them? What reason was there for doing so? None at all. It was ridiculous. It was foolish. That is always the trouble with weak faith. It comes back again to questions which it has already solved and answered. That is a brilliant analysis. Did Peter know there were waves before he said to Jesus, bid me to come? Yes, he did. Did he know how high the waves were? Did he know how great the wind was? He knew it all. But in looking at Christ, he said, Lord, bid me to come. Lord says, come on. He goes. As he's on the waves, there's not a paradigm shift. There's not new information that comes in. There's not a Doppler radar report that is handed to him. Everything is exactly as it was when he had the faith in the first place to get out. What Lloyd-Jones goes on and says is that so often what happens is, is that we are the ones that create the difficulty in our own lives because we start raising questions that have already been settled in the first place. But we take a step back. Um, sometimes we produce our own doubts, and there's really no basis for the doubt. He was walking on the water 
the waves were being mastered, but suddenly he looked at the waves. Uh, and, and then Lloyd-Jones talks about the fact that uh, so often people have to be reminded of what is true and what they know to be true. He says this. He says, when there is a failure to learn and believe these things, faith is weak. So strong faith means to know them. Know what? Know the truth of what the Scripture says. I'm constantly having to say these things. I am constantly having to write them. I had to write a very long letter on this very point to a man I had never seen. The man was miserable and held in bondage. Why? Because he did not see that Christ is the friend of publicans and sinners and that he came to die for such people. He was not clear about the person of Christ. He was not clear about the work of this blessed person. Now, he had been clear, but he began to look at his own faults and began to look at his own failures, and he began to say, there's no way the Lord could love me. That's exactly who the Lord came for. In other words, guys, things that we get settled as, as we move through, sometimes we forget those things. And, and what causes the discouragement and what causes the depression is really backtracking when there's no reason to backtrack. Is this making any sense at all? I got one more for you out of Lloyd-Jones. I tell you what, I love this guy. I've always loved Martin Lloyd-Jones. I just ought to read this whole book tonight, is what I ought to do. He's going on with Peter. You say, why are we talking about Peter? I thought we were doing Moses. We are. You just don't know we're doing Moses. We're just doing Moses through Peter, and I'm, I'm heading there. He says, the next characteristic of faith is that it persists steadily in looking to him and at him. Just let me give you a simple principle. Faith says, now catch this, what he has begun to do, he can continue to do. Are you in turbulent circumstances? Yeah, I am. Okay. Has he sustained you in those turbulent circumstances? Yeah. Okay. Why would he not continue to sustain you? Right? But what happens, we get these feelings that come up. Feelings of, what the heck am I doing? This is nuts. This is crazy. This makes no sense. Of course it makes no sense. But who put you there? He put you there. Has he taken care of you so far? Yeah. Why wouldn't he keep taking care of you? Anyway, that's just the way we are. You see? Catch this. What he has begun to do, what he has begun to do, he can continue to do. That's what faith says. The beginning of the work was a miracle. So if he can initiate a miraculous work, he can keep it going. What he has already begun, he can continue. Then he quotes Philippians 1 6. Philippians 1 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And then he quotes an old hymn that says this, The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. Let me say that again. 
The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. And then Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, that is an unanswerable argument. It cannot be defeated. I love that. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. I love, I, love, I love the truth of the Word of God. It just... It's like a railroad car. When they couple two railroad cars together, they bring those suckers together and just... chunk. It just fits. It just... At, that's an unanswerable argument. If God started something, will He not complete it? Yes. Are you walking on the waves in the middle of the storm? Yes, I am. Well, how are you doing that? By his work. All right. Why would he stop doing the work in your life? Well, what happens is we start looking at the waves. Now, how does this relate to Moses? I don't know, but I'm going to make it fit. <laughs> Here's how it relates to Moses. Here's exactly how it relates to Moses. Is that some of you guys are in the same difficult set of circumstances that you were in three years ago or you were in a year ago or you were in six months ago and what happens is as you are still in that storm of your life what happens is God has sustained you miraculously God has taken care of you uh, it's not fun it's not pleasant it's not easy uh, you're not enjoying it, but it's where you are. What can happen as you are there is that you very easily, and, it, and, and listen, I've done it a hundred times, uh, as you are there and God has sustained you, what happens is, is that suddenly you start looking at what's around you and how precarious it is and, and how easily you could go under and be finished. And what happens is, is precisely what happened to Peter. We, we forget. We forget that, that he is in charge. We forget that we are not there by accident. We, we forget that there is a reason we're in these circumstances. We forget that these periods of our lives have a beginning and a middle and an end. And we begin to think, I can't make it another day. This has been going on. It'll always go on. And what happens? We lose perspective because we get our eyes off of him. That's how Peter ties in with Moses. Moses had had a good run for 40 years. And now what's happened? This guy who was the success story of success stories has become an overnight failure. When you get... Um, when, when you get to verse 15, there's this huge transition. And basically from verse 15 to verse 25, you see that section of Scripture there? You see those 10 verses? Those 10 verses cover the next 40 years of the life of Moses. So 40 years, when, hey, and note this, he should have been in his prime. He should have been cooking. He should have been hitting his stride. He should have been in his sweet spot. When, when, he, when, when all of that preparation should have come to fruition and, and everything was lining up and, and, he was, and he should have been in the zone, this is when 
This is when he experienced the greatest setback of his life. Um, those 40 years only get 10 verses. You, you know why they only get 10 verses? Because not much was happening. I, I think over these 10 verses uh, that represent the, the, the middle 40 years of his life from 40 to 80, I think, uh, I, I think over that section of Scripture, you could write in the margin, you could write depression. I think you could write uh, despair. I think you could write discouragement. I think you could write disappointment. Uh, I think you could write the word, although it doesn't start with D, it doesn't have to start with D. I think you could, uh, I think you could write the word regret over this section of the life of Moses. Uh, now, why, the first thing I said was depression. Why would I say depression? Because depression comes from loss. And what, now, So where is this guy now? He's in the land of Midian. Where is Midian? Midian is a desert. You get over 130 degrees at Midian. Nobody went to Midian. Nobody. When you drive out of California, you're going to Arizona, you're going through the Mojave Desert, and uh, there's a gas station, and, and it's kind of really a run-down old place, junk cars everywhere. Some toothless guy owns it. He's got a dog with no teeth. Uh, and there's a sign that says, Last Gas, 118 miles. That, that's sort of Midian. Nobody in their right mind would live there. Uh, that's where Moses is going to live for the next 40 years. This high-powered leader who should have been hidden his sweet spot. Quite frankly, had ruined his life by an impulsive uh, decision. He thought he knew what God wanted to do and... Uh, he was 40 years off on the time. So let, let, let's analyze these, uh, these 10 verses and what it is that happened to this guy. Uh, from the perspective of Moses, and, and see, there's always, there's always our perspective and there's God's perspective. When, when we experience setbacks and disappointments, we view that through a certain lens because uh, we, we view that through the plan that we have laid out for our lives. Uh, we all have expectations. This is where I want to be. This is where I hope to be. This is how I want my, my life to be. This is how I got it all scoped out. Um, and when it doesn't work according to that plan and that scenario, and we begin to uh, see our lives unravel, and we get further and further away from where we hope to be at that particular time in our lives, uh, we experience loss, and therefore we go into depression. Because, you see, from our perspective, it's not working out. However, God has another perspective. God always takes the wide-angle lens. We always use the telephoto lens and hone in and zero in on our immediate circumstances. But God is always wide-angle. Now, he's the God of the present, but he's always working the plan, the big plan. We, we don't see how it all fits, and we don't see how it all threads together, but he does. Now... I don't remember last time we talked about Moses. I just know we did. And when we talked about Moses, I mentioned that
that what was happening in the life of Moses, although he was highly educated, as we learned last week, what was happening during this next 40 years is that God was sending him back to school. Uh, the second 40 years of Moses' life, quite frankly, is he's, he's, going back, he's going to graduate school. And what the Lord's doing is, is that the Lord has signed him up to get an MCA degree. Not an MBA degree, an MCA. Now, an MCA is a Master's of Character Acquisition. Now, here's the thing. That's a really hard degree to get. It's, it's a brutal program. In fact, it's so brutal that they don't even put it in the catalog. You don't even know you can get an MCA. Because if you knew you could get it, you would determine not to get it. And, quite frankly, once you read the course descriptions, you'd never sign up. So what happens is, here's what happens. It's such a brutal program, nobody in their right mind would sign up for this program. So what happens is, God signed you up for the program. And what happens is, you've made other plans, but God interrupts your plans. And usually when He interrupts our plans, it involves loss. Loss of what? Loss of what I wanted to do with my life. You're going back to school. There were uh, several courses that Moses took when God took him into the MCA degree, and I'll get those in just a minute. But, but understand the transition that's taken place in Moses' life. There, that, see, transition always involves change. Always. Note the changes that took place in his life. Number one, he had a change of address. Sometimes, in order for God to get us where He wants us to eventually be, He's got to change our address. You had no interest in changing your address. Uh, what happened to Moses is that he went from the palace of Pharaoh to the pastures of Midian. That's what happened to him. Uh, he had a change. Here's another change. He had a change of vocation. He was a, um, uh, he had been a leader of men. Now he was going to become a leader of sheep. That was going to be his new job. Sometimes when, when God um, interrupts our lives and when he signs us up for this graduate program that nobody in their right mind would, would want to be involved in, uh, what happens is, he will put you in a situation that you are vastly overqualified to do. It is beneath you. It's beneath your training. It's beneath your experience. It's beneath your expectations. Uh, Moses, at the age of 40, did not expect to be in the middle of the desert leading uh, some sheep. He expected to be leading uh, two million men, women, and children out of Egypt and delivering them. That's what he expected not what happened. Uh, thirdly, Moses had a change. Here's another change. He had a change of status. Of status. Status. 
Status is big in our culture. You know, every culture has status. Every culture. Doesn't matter what culture it is. The poorest cultures have status. There are certain things that, quite frankly, aren't all that important, but they give you status. Um, an increase in wealth, an increase in power, an increase in privilege. When, when, you, when you're climbing the ranks, what happens to you? When you get a promotion, you get an increase in wealth, you get an increase in power, you have more responsibility, and usually along with that comes an increase in privilege. Maybe you get a parking space with your name on it or something. Or maybe you get a gas card for the company. Or you, doesn't it make sense? That's normally how it works. Increase in wealth, increase in power, increase in privilege. Those three things equal success. And when you're successful, and you have an increase in those three areas of your life, you've gone up in status. You ever travel and you get in a hotel, and you know, four or five guys get in the elevator and everybody's hitting the deal, and then one guy uh, puts in a key and turns it? Everybody kind of goes, ooh. <laughs> Now, what's that all about? I don't, think, I don't think that key even does anything. But you see, how'd he get that? I mean, you know, why'd he get a key? And, and why would they have a floor that takes a key? Well, it's, it's status. Follow this here, what happened to Moses overnight. Um, I'll do this quickly. He went from the palace to the pasture. He went from success to failure. He went from wealth to poverty. He went from significance to insignificance. He went from privilege to persecution. He went from free man to felon. He went from a purpose in life to no purpose whatsoever. He went from a great future, unlimited future, to a grim future. And that literally happened overnight. He'd be there for 40 years. Uh, you say, will I be there for 40 years? You're going to be there longer. No, I'm just kidding you. That's, that's, that's kind of mean to even say. But that, that, you, you know what? When we're in it, the thing we want to know is, when is it over? That's what we always want to know. Because, because you know what? It's so brutal, and it's so hard, and it's so difficult. Uh, you know, here's what happens when we lose all this stuff. When we take a hit like this, when we take a shot like this, you know what happens to us? We get wounded. It knocks the soup out of us. Uh, it's tough to be yourself around your wife and kids. Because uh, here's how you feel. You feel like you lost all your wisdom. You used to have a little bit of wisdom. You don't have it anymore. Because if you had had wisdom, you wouldn't be in this position. You know what else you lose? You lose all your joy. You can't enjoy anything anymore. You go play golf, you can't even enjoy it because you're thinking about everything that's gone wrong in your life. You can't watch a ball game, really, and enjoy a ball game the way you used to enjoy a ball game because things are so far down in your life. Uh, it's a tough time in life. And, and, and see again, some of you guys now have been there for a while. And, and as you're in it, 
what can begin to happen is you can begin to look around and say, wait a minute, time's going by and nothing is changing. I'm right where I was. I don't see any step forward. I don't see any progress. I, I, it's, I'm stuck. I'm on hold. It, and and, and with, with each month that goes by, I'm losing ground. I'm not getting closer to where I want to be. I'm, I mean, I'm backing up. I'm in reverse here. Let's talk for a minute about these courses. God puts us in. And once again, nobody in their right mind, nobody in their right mind would sign up for these courses. Here's the first one. The first one I call Unemployment 101. Moses, uh, now he had a job, but the job was beneath him. Um, we as men get our self-worth from what we do. And when we feel that what we do is not significant, it's very, very hard on us. Uh, we want to climb the ladder. We want to provide for our families. Uh, that, that's a good thing. We want to make progress. I mean, I, I mean, who, who just... You know, the sluggard is condemned in Proverbs. The guy that has uh, no energy, the guy that has no goals, the guy that can't get himself out of bed in the morning, that guy is condemned. Uh, we are given, Adam was given dominion over the earth, and he was told to, uh, uh, what was he told to do? He was told to, I'm blanking, I can't think of the term. Be fruitful and multiply. I remember that one, I wouldn't forget that one. Uh, he, was, oh, he, was, he was told to rule over the earth. He had dominion over the earth, you see? So what does that mean? That means we go dig pits and we pull uh, copper and coal out of it. We have dominion over the earth. That's why it's okay to go to Alaska and drill, quite frankly. Now, you don't want to screw up Alaska because you want to be able to go up there and fish. But hey, we don't, we don't worship the ground. We don't worship the caribou. We don't worship the elk. We don't worship the rivers. We use them. Now, we've seen situations where people have just gone in and plundered, and that's horrible. That's just self-serving foolishness. We're not talking about that. But we were given dominion, and, and we rule over the earth, and we're to use its resource. You're to get up every day and go out there and do something. You're to get up every day and go out there and contribute. That's what you were made for. That's why you were given gifts. And what happens is, when God interrupts us for a certain reason in our life to work on our character, and he takes us out of what we normally do, it kills us. It just rips our guts out. But that's what's happened. Some of you guys have been through this, and you're on the other side of it. Some of you were in it. And you can't quite figure what's going on. And see, you start looking at the waves. You say, hey, I can't continue this. God's your provider. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. He, he, he knows all the stuff. He knows all the balances. He knows the whole thing. He knows how long you're going to live. He knows how much you're going to need. He knows, he knows every dime you're going to need until the moment you die. And guess what? He's going to provide most of it. It's not what it says. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. When a guy has his career interrupted and there's a setback, it's devastating. That's what happened to Moses. Second course is advanced obscurity. When you're popular and where you're doing well, you've got all kinds of friends. 
when, when you take a hit, when you fall off the corporate ladder, where do all your friends go? See, in a deal like that, you find out who your real friends are. Don't you? You find out real quick. Um, what happens when, when God takes it? See, advanced obscurity. God takes you out of, the, out of the normal mainstream of life. And what he does, what God's going to do is uh, he's going to get you alone and he's going to isolate you. And, what, and what's going to happen is, is, is that you're going to go one-on-one with the Lord. And there's going to be an advantage. If any of you guys at any point in life say, oh, you know, I'd really like a mentor. Guess what? you got a mentor. But sometimes, in order for him to teach us what needs to be taught to us, he has to remove us from other people so that he has our undivided attention. Undivided attention. So there will be a time in the, in the, in the life of most men where they go through a chapter where they are obscure. And we get worried when we're obscure because we've lost our contacts and we've lost our network and we've lost our references and we've all we have is the Lord. Quite frankly, that's all you need. Tell me the good old boy network that Joseph had in Egypt when he was in the dungeon. Not much of a network. See, we look at those things. And, we see, and see, when you look around and say, well, I, I've lost it, I don't have it. You know what you're doing? You're looking at the waves. You don't need those things. You know what God can sovereignly do? God can sovereignly use one pivotal person in a critical position and bring them, bring you to their attention at the right moment. He'll use them to put you in the place where he wants you to be. That's all you need. Third course that I see in the life of Moses, and you saw this in Paul's life, was remedial waiting. None of us want to wait. And, and see, this is what throws us a lot of times, is that when God has called us to wait, you say, I've been waiting so long. That's exactly right. But his timing is worth waiting for. And, and see, as we wait, what happens is we get discouraged because we think nothing is happening. Isaiah 64.4 is a great verse, and it says this, No eye has seen a God like thee who works for those who wait for him. You do what you can legitimately do. But sometimes God hems us in circumstantially and he's forcing you to wait. And what do you do? You say, Lord, I'm willing to wait. I don't like it. I hate it. And he knows you do. But Lord, I wait on you. I'm waiting on you. I'm... and once again, the longer you wait, the more those waits, those, those times become, they become waves, and we start looking, and say, I'm getting further and further behind. No, you're not. You know what? Here's the amazing thing about God. He's got you waiting. You know what? You're right on schedule. You're right on schedule. Moses waited for 40 years. And, and the whole time, he was absolutely on schedule. It just didn't feel like. He was in the prime of life. Didn't he just making sense? This. I really didn't want to do Moses again. 
I, I, I really didn't. But you know what? I felt compelled to do Moses again. I, I'm going to tell you something, guys. I looked at 16 different things to teach this winter. I mean, I, I just can't explain that to you. I just coming back, I, I kept coming back to Moses. I thought, well, you know, I talked about Moses a while back. So if you're bored, talk to the Lord. <laughs> you're just going to have to wait for me to do something else. One more course. Remember, he's in this 40 years. First 40 years, everything's cruising. He's moving along. He's climbing the ladder. He's getting his degrees. You know, he, he got a condo, then he got a real nice house on the golf course, and then he got a house at the lake on the Red Sea, and everything was great. He's just he's going right according to plan. Friends, you know, he walks in, you know, there's a line in the restaurant, Moses goes right in. I'm telling you, that's what he did. You liked that one, didn't you? I'll have to remember that one. Yeah, here's the fourth course. Intermediate loneliness. Intermediate loneliness. Moses was in a literal desert. Here's the deal, guys. You probably won't find yourself in a physical desert. But uh, there are health deserts. There are emotional deserts. There are financial deserts. There are relational deserts. A relationship that you uh, loved and uh, treasured, and right now it's gone. And you're wondering if you'll ever get it back. Sometimes you're just in the desert. Because you see, a lot of times when we're in the desert, there's nowhere else to go except to the Lord. I'll close with this, if I can find it. Marvin Olasky is editor-in-chief of World Magazine. There's a column every issue. This one is called DQ Country. Once upon a time, I thought that IQ was the most important attribute of human beings. Three decades ago, I became a Christian and began to understand the centrality of what could be called SQ, spiritual quotient. In recent years, we've rightly heard more talk of EQ, emotional quotient. But in this land of opportunity that America still is, one more Q factor is crucial. This is DQ country, and by that, I mean not Dairy Queen, but determination quotient. Determination pays off differently depending on our starting point. For a poor immigrant, it may lead to not affluence for himself, but a better life for his children. But determination is key in making sales, winning pennant races, and I'll write about something I know, writing. Tom Clancy isn't the greatest stylist around, but like the Apostle Paul, he presses toward his goal, so his advice is worth remembering. Writing is most of all an exercise in determination. Two craftsman authors, Michael Crichton, said, Books aren't written, they are rewritten. James Michener said, I am not a very good writer, but I'm an excellent rewriter. 
These two men have demonstrated high DQs, determination, quotient. One of America's top stylists, E.B. White, noted that a writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. He speaks of uh, Michael Lewis, who's an author. The most common pleasant thing people say to me about my writing is that it looks effortless. Then he confesses, it is the opposite of effortless. I probably do 20 drafts of each chapter. I write something over and over. It's like Groundhog Day. My writing process is sweaty and inelegant. Ernest Hemingway wrote a book called Old Man in the Sea. He rewrote it 200 times before he turned it in. Alaski's a writer. Be a good writer, you got to have a DQ factor. There's got to be a determination factor. Are you walking with the Lord? You want to be his man? You're going to encounter some deserts. You're going to encounter some tough courses. What's required? A little bit of DQ. A little bit of determination. Determination to do what? Determination to trust, no matter what it looks like around you. A determination to trust. That's the name of the game. Our fight is always going to be, guys, looking at the waves. But the fight, the fight, and, and you know what? Sometimes we're going to look at the waves. But when you fall down, you've got to give Peter credit because he reached out to the Lord. We're going to fall down. We're going to get wet. What do we do? We're determined to just keep reaching. We're determined to keep trusting. We're determined to keep following. And as we're doing that, he's doing the work, and he's developing us from the inside out. He won't always be in this position for a season. It may seem like it'll be forever. It won't. So let's pray. Father, sometimes we just flat out get weary. We get tired. And we get discouraged because we don't feel like any progress is being made. We're in the same spot. And, and we get tired of people asking us how we're doing because we're not doing all that great. And there's not much good news to report. And for some of us, it's, it's because we're right in the middle of of a very hard season where you are doing a very deep work. Uh, Lord, I, I, I believe with all my heart that when you put us in for that MCA degree, it's a time of incredible pressure. Pressure. We feel it when we get up. We have trouble sleeping at night deeply and soundly because of the pressure. We have difficulty during the day. We have trouble falling asleep at night because of the guys that are there I pray, Lord, that you will encourage them today in their DQ factor. Just simply to determine to trust you. 
Lord, we have such a weak faith. We do. Lord, we ask you to give us a big faith. If, if you enabled us, Lord, to, to walk on the water, and the waves are all around us, and the wind is just unbelievably strong, it's a miracle we got out there in the first place. Well, Lord, you're not going to stop. You're going to sustain us. You've gotten us this far. You'll take care of us. You'll make a way. And as, and as we're fighting these battles, you're doing a deep, deep work in our hearts to make us better men and deeper men and more trustworthy. So we say, have thine own way. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. Mold me and make me. After thy will. We trust you, Lord. And we're still believing you. In Jesus' name we pray.